0: Go ahead and get to John chapter 10 uh, in God's Word this morning. John chapter 10. Uh, My wife and I were away on vacation this week. Uh, We had a great time with uh, her side of the family. We were down at a camp near Lowe'sville, Virginia, up in the Blue Ridge Mountains, which uh, apparently has no cell phone signal or wi-fi, and I'm not like joking about that, just in case you're trying to find a way to escape. I'm not. Um, They didn't have it there well, and uh, it's where we're doing our men's retreat or men's advance. What am I thinking? Men's advance, because men don't retreat. We had yeah, we advanced. All right, anyways. Uh, but we were down there all week, so we had a great time, got refreshed, and it's been really good. I'm excited about where we're going to be this week, next week, and then all summer. I want to catch you up on what's going on. So, uh, so this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to be continuing on in the Gospel of John for two more Sundays this spring. And uh, this, if, uh, preaching next Sunday will mark 40 sermons or 40 weeks in the Gospel of John, and we're at John chapter 10. So, uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, for the summer. And for the summer, we're going to be going through a series called One Another. It's life in the body. Um, So we're going to talk about what it looks like to belong to one another as a flock, uh, and some of the commands that come with that. Now, uh, and then we'll pick back up in the fall in the Gospel of John again, so stay tuned for that. Uh, For the last two weeks, um, we've taken a look at two of Jesus's main I Am statements, because there's been four so far. And And like we could have used the first week to like rush through both of those big I am statements. And then we could have rushed through the rest of John chapter 10. We could have tried to get as far as we could before the summer gets here. Um, But I actually felt uh, convicted about that. I I don't think we should rush through who Jesus says he is in his nature. Um, So we talked about him being the gate. We talked about him being the good shepherd. And uh, we could have just buzzed through the rest of John chapter 10 and uh, try to squeeze out 11 before the summer. But again, don't think we can, because there's something that Jesus said that we didn't talk about last week, about him being a good shepherd, that I want us to feel the weight of. That I'm hoping this morning, by God's grace, will feel just how incredibly weighty what Jesus says is here. And the only way that I can kind of do that to start off is is share a story about a missionary, a guy named Peter Cameron Scott. Now, I didn't ever know this, I don't think my mom and dad intentionally do this, but my name is Scott Cameron Brudd, and so I found somebody who's my namesake, even though I wasn't named after him, Peter Cameron Scott. He was born in 1867 in Scotland and went out as a missionary to Africa as a young man. Like so many in that generation, he got malaria and had to come back to Britain. His second attempt was especially joyful because he was joined by his brother John, so if you can think about it, him and his brother get to go out on mission together to Africa and serve there. What an incredible joy. Well, the joy evaporated real quick as as Peter's brother John fell victim to malaria, the fever, and he died. So Scott buried his brother by himself alone in Africa. And at the graveside, he rededicated himself to preach the gospel. But again, his health broke and he had to return to Britain, utterly discouraged. But while he was in London, something rather remarkable happened. Scott visited Westminster Abbey, not Downton Abbey, but Westminster Abbey. And he went to the tomb of a Christian missionary named Dr. David Livingston, I presume, And on Livingston's gravestone, he read these words. By the way, Livingston was a missionary to Africa. And these were the words on his gravestone. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring in. God used these words to give Peter Scott the confidence to return back to Africa for the rest of his life. And the fruit of that promise, that conviction, still exists today as he has founded what you might know as the Africa Inland Mission. It is a missions organization that has been around for over 125 years. They are currently engaged with 100 different people groups in the inland part of Africa all because of a deep, weighty conviction that's found in this one single verse that Jesus spoke along the way as describing himself as the good shepherd. I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. (laughs) Guys, we've been in the Gospel of John for a long time now. This is the first and the most weighty missionary text in the Gospel of John that we've ever come across. And I would postulate this morning, I would argue to you that when Jesus said these words, he had you in mind. unless you're an ethnic Jew. I don't know if we have any of those here. Hi. He had you in mind when he said this. In fact, I would argue that the only reason that we're here today, the only reason that we're able to gather around the gospel of Jesus Christ, having been saved by his great and free grace, is simply because of this truth here. So let me try to unpack it for you, but keep it in context. Remember, remember, Jesus is talking to who? He's talking to, I would argue, only Jews. So if you can remember, we just got out of John chapter 9, and the man who was born blind gets healed by Jesus, and then they interrogated this healed man, and then eventually, because he just testifies to logic, they kick him out of the synagogue, of the temple. They, he doesn't get access to God anymore, is what they're trying to say. And yet Jesus finds him, seeks him out, invites him to believe, and the man falls on his face and worships Jesus. And then immediately Jesus starts talking about exactly what everyone just saw who Jesus is. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Those those words were simply just expositing what they just saw. Him do with this man who had just been healed. And so he says these things, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, which are just dripping with messianic meaning from Old Testament history. And, and in the middle of talking about him being the good shepherd. Remember all that we talked about last week, and that wasn't even the start of what all that means. He makes this statement: I have other sheep that are not in this sh- in this sheep pen. I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. Guys, this is vastly significant because there's a, there's a few different ways or a few different truths that this is pointing to. It means first that not everyone of Jesus' sheep are from the same sheepfold or sheep pen, right? The sheep that belong to Jesus and his flock are also in other sheep pens as well. Which means the most common understanding, I think the the, the easiest way to explain this text, is that the sheep pen that Jesus is referring to in this text is representing the Jews. It's Jewish people. Those descendants of Abraham, ethnically, And you know what this also means, if you want to take this to its logical conclusion, is that that there were tons of sheep in that sheepfold of Judaism, of Jewish people, but only some of them were Jesus's. Not all the sheep in the sheep pen of the Jews were actually Jesus's sheep. Some were, and he calls them out and they follow him. But there were some sheep who didn't. Hear the voice of a shepherd. They saw the voice of a heretic, and they stayed in the sheep pen. And they don't believe, and they don't follow him. But some do follow him out of the pen of Judaism. But Jesus here is not just simply pointing to that reality. He's pointing to the reality that there are sheep that are his, that are not in the sheep pen of Judaism, but they're elsewhere. They're in other sheep pens. So if Judaism or Jew, being an ethnic Jew, is this sheep pen, then the other sheep pens are not Jewish, which just simply means that this has to reference what Scripture calls Gentiles. Can you say Gentile? Gentile. Y'all are so calm. Guys, uh, in, in Jewish thought, they really only had two categories when they came to thinking about ethnicity. Just two categories. It was them and everyone else. It was just their group, their Jewish ethnicity, and then everyone else. So there was Jew or Gentile. It's kind of like, you know, we do as Americans, right? You know, we're proud of our country, I think, mostly. America, right? There's America, and then there's everybody else, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that's right. We just tend to be that way as Americans. And so what this can do, when you have that kind of uh, binary category for ethnicity, uh, it can it can create kind of a nationalistic, kind of an ethnocentric mentality. What I'm, Those are big words. Let me Ethnocentric meaning meaning our ethnic linguistic cultural group is the best. And and then there's everyone else. We're, we're, we're the center of it all, and everyone else needs to adapt to us and what we do in our culture. It can be very inwardly focused. So the Jews at this time specifically were very much thinking this way. It's like it's us. It's us. We're the ones who got Yahweh as our God, right? Nobody else has Yahweh as our God. We got Yahweh as our God. We're the ones who are supposed to be the light for the nations. There's no one else, so everybody else is supposed to come in and see us. But the Jews in the first century had forgotten, for whatever reason, that God has always, from the very beginning of time, been about accomplishing a global rescue and blessing among all peoples, not just the Jews. So we can even look at the curse given in Genesis 3 and the promise of redemption for all of Eve's offspring by the one offspring. We can look at God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 when he says that that he's going to bless Abraham and all the peoples or all the families on earth will be blessed through Abraham. Or you can even go up to Psalm 67 when the author of the psalm is prayerfully singing that God's salvation would be known throughout all the earth, throughout all the nations, all ethnic people groups, that all people all over the world would praise God, that the nations would rejoice and shout for joy. And so that's Old Testament. That's been there the whole time. And and in comes this guy named Jesus of Nazareth who keeps just doing doing things that like, man, this guy's got to be the Messiah. And keeping right in line with God's plan of global, cross-cultural, every ethnos redemption plan, he says that he's got sheep that aren't just simply in this sheep pen. They're not just Jewish. He's got sheep that are Gentile as well. Guys, this is the ground for the Gentile mission for the kingdom of God. And and not only that, but we see it elsewhere affirmed in the Gospel of John. The way Jesus prays in John 17, man, he is about everyone who's going to believe in him. You can also see in John, uh, let's see, John chapter 11, at the end, Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead, which is coming this fall, stay tuned. He just raised Lazarus from the dead And the Jewish leaders want to kill him. They're plotting to kill Jesus. And the high priest at the time was a guy named Caiaphas. And because he was the high priest, he was filled with the Spirit. And he starts to prophesy. And and this is is what he says. I don't think I have it on the screen. So just listen to the sultry sound of my voice. In speaking about Caiaphas, He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. Some people like to read in Jewish understanding, the scattered Jews, no, this is... This is, in light of what we're seeing here, this is every sheep from every pen that belongs to Jesus. He's going to die to gather them in. This plan is a global, every ethnic group plan. This plan is uh, of God's kingdom advancing across cultural and ethnic lines is not only spoken about and demonstrated in the way Jesus lives his life and ministry, but it's also seen and executed throughout the whole book of Acts, right, in Acts chapter 2, right, the church, the disciples are up in the upper womb, they're waiting for Holy Spirit to come, Holy Spirit falls, they start speaking in other languages or tongues, you might call them, and and they're preaching the kingdom, and, and there's tons of people there from different ethnic backgrounds, scripture says there are Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Egyptians and Romans and Cretans and Arabs, And they preached the gospel of the kingdom. And guess what happens? 3,000 people are saved. At the beginning of the church, the gospel was already crossing ethnic lines. And not only that, we see later on in Acts chapter 10, Peter, he's seeking the Lord up on the rooftop. He's praying and he has this vision, right, of a blanket coming down full of all animals that used to be called unclean and God, in this vision, tells Peter, get up and eat. And I don't know what, Peter, P, I, I, I relate to Peter so well, because Peter's like, no, God. Like, who has the gumption to say no to God? Like, it's ridiculous. I'm more like that. But anyways, so, so this sheep falls. He says, go eat. No, I won't eat it. And, and then God says, what I have made clean, do not call impure. And that very moment, Peter comes out of the trance, and there's somebody knocking at the door. Servants of a Roman centurion, who have been sent by that Roman centurion, Cornelius, who had a vision from God to go get Peter, bring him to his house, because Peter has a message for him. So Peter goes in response, he goes to this house, he preaches the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls, people are saved, his whole family gets saved, and this was Peter's conclusion. This I have up on the screen. This is what Peter came to. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism ethnically but in every nation the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him praise god the good news of jesus's rescue and restoration to the king and his kingdom was going to be for every single nation and if you can remember isn't that exactly what the apostle paul was for isn't that why god saved him right think about it remember Paul, who was once Saul, while he was Saul, he was, he was a great persecutor of the way of the church, and you know, he's just doing his thing on his way to the on, on the road to Damascus, and, and Jesus is like, nah, you're not doing any of that anymore. You're mine. Boom! You're blind. And Pete, Paul's like, oh, okay, I've seen the risen Lord. Oh my goodness. And, and so Paul's blind, and he goes to the city, and and, 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 and Jesus gets Ananias, a disciple of his, to, to go, and he's trying to convince him to go pray for the apostle Paul. And, and what does Ananias, what does Ananias uh, Day, He's like, oh, he's a persecuted church. And Jesus is like, nope, go. For this, this man is my chosen instrument to make my name, to take my name to the Gentiles, to kings and Israelites. Sure enough, that's exactly what Paul does. He is healed of his blindness. He's already got his Jewish background now uh, completed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he takes multiple missionary journeys all throughout the Mediterranean region, Eastern Mediterranean region. He's going to cities all over the place. And, And what he would do is he would go into these places and he would preach the gospel of the kingdom in the synagogues. Right, and the synagogues, there would be some Jews who would believe. You can see that in the book of Acts. And the reason why he would preach first to those in the synagogue was because he had this conviction. You can see it in Romans 1.16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe it, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. He preaches first to the Jew, and so he goes to the synagogues first, and he preaches there, and some people receive it, most people didn't. But in almost every city he goes to, after there, after he preaches in the synagogue, he goes out to the streets, he goes out to the marketplaces, he goes out to the other temples of other gods, and he starts to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And you want to know exactly what that looked like? I've got a, a video. You think we're ready? This is, this is what it looked like. the Gentiles ate the gospel up. They've been waiting for it. They're like, wait, you're saying that Yahweh God that was once the Jews, you're saying we can belong to him too? We want that, right? And so so the disciples just start multiplying all over the place, everywhere. In all of these cities, churches are being planted among the Gentiles. Later on in Acts chapter 18, I love this. Paul is in the city of Corinth, and he's preaching the gospel. He goes in, he preaches to the Jews, and the Jews just flat out do that. I don't want that. And then he goes out, and he holds it out to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles start believing. They're like, yeah, I'll eat that up. I'll take that. And that night, Paul is in his room, and he's, he, uh, he, it says that he has a night vision from the Lord. And this is what it says. Jesus says to Paul, don't be afraid but keep on speaking and don't be silent for I am with you and no one will lay hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. (laughs) And he stays there for a year and a half preaching and teaching. Why? Because God had many people in that city. I'm not talking like already converted I'm talking there are sheep in that pen who need to hear the voice of Jesus and when they hear it, they'll follow. God had people in this city, so stay encouraged. Keep preaching the gospel because you're going to find some who will believe it again and again. So so don't relent. Don't be afraid. Preach. God has sheep in that pen too who they'll they'll follow the voice of the shepherd when they hear it. But not only that, if you were to just simply fast forward to the end of all time and you're gathered around the throne and you look to your left and you look to your right. There's a passage in Revelation 5 that talks about what that's going to be like. Saints who are gathered around the throne of God, clothed in white, and they're singing a new song. And this is the song they're singing. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain or slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation revelation 7 talks about the multitude of people gathered around the throne they're they're all they're all different language all different skin colors He's purchased sheep from every tribe and language and people and nation. They're his. And So put all of this, all of this into the context of Jesus as both the gate and the good shepherd. It means that Jesus is inviting the Gentiles into. It means that he's, He's inviting in people from every ethnic tribe, every language group, to come in through the gate, the only gate, to the good shepherd. There's an open invitation from Jesus to come in and enjoy the intimate care and the relationship with the good shepherd for the rest of eternity. No matter if you're Jew or you're Gentile, both, you together can, can be Jesus' sheep. And did you, note, did you note the thrust of this idea, this belief that Jesus has? He says, I've got sheep and other pins. I must bring them in also. In other words, it's part of the command that he's received from his father. When the time came for Jesus to appear. I can only imagine what it must have looked like between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Picturing the Father and the Son and the Spirit kind of doing their group huddle thing, you know. They've already, they've already worked out this plan from before creation. Creation. knowing everything that it would take, knowing what the costs would be, knowing all who Jesus was going to purchase by his own blood, the father looks at the son with unstoppable love in his eyes and he just says to his son, go get them. They're mine, go get them. And the Son, with all joy in his heart, enters into our world, takes on human flesh, and lays down his life, and picks it back up again to bring in all of his sheep. And you see, Jesus sees something in this. He, he has a vision for his sheep, what it's going to look like. What's the vision? It's the end of verse 16. Look at it. This is what he says. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. One flock united under one shepherd, the good shepherd, the greatest shepherd, the noble shepherd. This is the vision that Jesus has for his church, Jews and Gentile believers living together under his leadership, just one flock made up of sheep of all different colors and languages and dialects and cultures, all sharing a unity that goes beyond racial distinctions and cultural backgrounds and societal preferences. A colorful Beautiful melting pot of all humanity following Jesus. And that's Jesus' vision for his church. And that's exactly what's happened. And it still keeps happening today. Guys, at the beginning of the 1900s, at the turn of that century, about 10% of the world's Christians lived in southern continents and in the eastern continents. Only 10%. 90% of the world's Christians at that time lived in North America, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. That was in the 1900s. A hundred years later, in the 2000s, where we are now, 70% of the world's Christians live in the non-Western world. There are more Christians today in Africa than in any other continent. There are more Christians in church every Sunday in communist China than in all of Western Europe. You want to let that marinate for a minute? Which country do you think is the country that sends the most missionaries out? It's not us anymore. It's South Korea. God is still advancing his kingdom all around the world. Even in the hardest countries. Jesus is still gathering in his flock from every nation, from every language. Even in those countries that don't want him. (laughs) Even in those countries that ban him. He's still like, nah, do that and that's actually where my people flourish, trust me. (laughs) Like, go ahead, see what happens, right? They're just gonna abound and flourish. They love it, right? Like, oh man. But the work is far from done. The harvest is still ripe and the workers are still few. Guys, there are still over 3 billion people, over 7,000 ethnic groups that are classified as unreached. Let me define that for you. It means that that in that social circle of that ethnic group, They have no knowledge of the gospel. They have no awareness of the person of Jesus. That truth has not yet gotten to them. And at this point, the reason why those areas are still unreached, those peoples and those people groups are still unreached, is because they are now in what's called the hardest to reach places. They're, in, they're behind countries. They're in countries whose borders won't allow in Christianity, like North Korea. Or there are they're, they're unreached people groups in countries that are so unstable because they're so wrecked by civil war, possibly from other terrorist groups who just want to eradicate Christianity and kill all Christians. But Jesus still has sheep that need to hear his voice so they can be brought into the one flock that he died for behind those countries' borders. And that's that's Jesus' vision for his church. One flock of his sheep of all thousands of languages and ethnicities all under his one shepherding care. That's his vision. And yet, you and I both know the answer to this. What is the most segregated hour of the week? Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Right now. Oh, that our local churches would actually look a little bit more like heaven. I mean, can't, like, can't you see it? Like, people of, of all sorts of different skin colors, people who don't look like you, who don't talk like you, all in different languages, singing one gospel song to the one good shepherd. Like, wh- like, why can't we be that? Usually when I... When I um, when I give these sorts of challenges, uh, these calls to mission, uh, these calls to embrace the idea of a multi-ethnic, multicultural, maybe even multilingual kind of local church body that's on mission to cross cultural lines, usually when we have these conversations, I usually kind of come across two sorts of of emotions within people. Um ones that I've encountered uh, and, and, and I'm praying by God's grace that he'll eradicate. Uh, most often when these challenges are given and these truths are explained and expositive, the two emotions that I come across are uh, people who are indignant or indifferent. Let me explain. Most... Mostly it's indifference, but sometimes it's indignance. And, and what I mean by that is there are often people who, who have indignation towards the idea of, of one local body housing multiple cultures and languages for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, I, I, a simple one could, could just be the, the inconveniences of it, right? Because there's some translation work that has to happen. Uh, maybe it, it's the confusion that comes when you're encountering another culture and it looks different you're like, wait, we don't do that as white Americans but you guys do that? Like what? Or maybe, maybe and 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 this one I just need to say is that sometimes it's still just some racial biases that are against people who look or sound or speak in a certain way. I want to say this gently. I, I, I think some of us are under the idea that racism is a thing of the past and it, and it might be in certain ways, but it still lurks. Brothers and sisters, I, I am challenging us that, that we have to resist. We have to, based on God's plan for global redemption, we have to resist any kind of ethnocentric arrogance that's gonna keep us from embracing and loving people who don't share our culture, who don't share our skin color, or speak our language. We have to resist any of that that will keep us from being able to reach across that line and say, we, no, we want, you. we want you in this flock. We want you to know Jesus because he's free. Like if you, if you find within yourself an unwillingness to, to even love somebody who speaks a different language or who wears a certain head covering or, or comes from a certain country, that's not a problem with them. That's a problem with the truth that's in your heart that God needs to renew your mind and transform you. And, and, and my fear, I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm struck with fear right now because I'm afraid that some people are thinking I'm trying to be political. I'm not. I'm just trying to be gospel Church, can we just say that where God's grace allows us to cross cultural lines, that we can and should embrace gospel-based ethnic diversity in Christ-exalting racial harmony? I mean, the only thing that, that can really can really change that is God. So God, I pray that right now you would just put to death the indignation that keeps us from sharing the gospel and loving others from the different sheet pens of the world. So that's indignance or indignation. Then the other part is indifference. Indifference meaning apathy. Apathy that comes usually from being just comfortable. We become comfortable with this, the way things are. Comfortable with our own kind. Our own sheep pin. So we, we grow ingrown, we, we keep in our community, we stay comfortable with what we know, what we have, as really what's happening is our comfort is just, comfort from, from, from doing easy, simple church lulls us to sleep when the mission is at hand. There's a, um, I don't know if you guys know the name, uh, but... His death has uh, been all over the news uh, because of his great impact. A guy named Tim Keller, uh, he passed away on Friday. He was a pastor, a theologian, apologist. He is one that I have often referred to uh, and quoted, someone who I often read. I'm reading another one of his books right now. Um, he, he died uh, on Friday after three years of, of a bout with pancreatic cancer. And, and, I mean, it's, heart, like, it's heartbreaking, but, you know, one of the things he said, he said, like, it's, death can only make me better. <laughs> he said, there's no loss in me leaving. But one of the things that he said, uh, he, he did a lot of thinking about the church. He did a lot of thinking about the church being on mission in the cities and in communities. And this is one of the things that he said. He said, community without mission is cancer. It's growth without purpose. Isn't that what cancer is? Really? It just feeds itself. It builds itself up at the expense of everything else. Guys, we can't be comfortable, sleeping Christians dreaming the American dream. We can't. We ought to be a church that, yes, is a hospital for the sinners and the broken. A church that is, yes, the family of God, brothers and sisters, but my goodness, we ought to be a church that is an army at the dispatch of our King. We're not supposed to be a nice cruise liner ship as a church where you can get your fancy little drinks out in the lobby and and everything's supposed to be for your entertainment and your comfort. No, we're to be a carrier ship. Sending out people, dispatching them to the different parts of our, our city, of our community, of our world. Because we have our mission. I mentioned earlier, and I got to go on vacation uh, this past week, and we got to go on a hike as a big family. It was really cool. Um, but one of the things, one of the worst things that happens on a hike happened while I was hiking. I got a rock in my shoe. Um, that is the worst. And so you just try to keep walking, and you just kind of feel it, and you just keep lipping, and you try to avoid it, and you keep going up the hill. You're just like, I'm just going to do it. And then finally, you just got to say, all right, I got to get this out. So when we had a potty break in the woods, which is fun with seven kids, you, you take this out, and you take the rock out. This verse is the rock in our church's shoe. We can be walking along. We can be comfortable. We can enjoy the, the easy life in community, which again is so beautiful. I don't want to knock that. And this verse just keeps poking us in the foot, saying, but what about, what about mission? <laughs> what about the other sheep and the other sheep pins? Every time we just start to get really comfortable with just us, with just the way things are, just keeping what we have, this is saying, no, 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 there's more. Don't stop, don't forget, don't grow apathetic. But you know what this verse it's not just simply a goad. It's not just simply a pin in the pew cushion. It's not just simply a rock in the shoe. This, this verse is a massive hope for the church. You know what the hope is? Is that when we go across those cultural lines and we start to talk about Jesus, there's gonna be people and say, that's, that's the voice I've been waiting for. I want to follow him and they will. This is the great hope. Jesus will bring them in because he must bring them in. And you know the tool? You know the tool of the shepherd, the the staff that has the bow that reaches out to bring in the sheep? You know who that staff is? It's you and me. We're the ones that he reaches out with, says, come on in, you're mine. He said this. He said it in John 17, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you it's, it's you and me. Why he decided, why he decided us, you know us sc- scraggly little worms, right? Why, I don't know, but he said no, I, I want to use you in my purposes and we get to be a part. It's why our, our mission as a church has as its last phrase, we have love God, love people and then what? Make disciples, and if we were to finish that whole sentence, it would be make disciples of all nations, of every ethnic group, in every sheep pen. It's why we as a church take 10% off of every offering that you give, and we give it away to missions. And I think we're trying to grow that percentage. Board of Administration, I don't know if I'm surprising you, but I think we want to grow it. It's why we strategically partner with indigenous preachers over in hard-to-reach places to support them so that they're freed up to go share the gospel with villages next door. But brothers and sisters, our giving isn't enough. It's got to be our going. Jesus didn't say, give to make disciples of all nations, did he? He said, go. Go give them the gospel, and I'll go with you. Guys, I, 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 don't, I don't know what might hinder us, but I, I don't... I don't know of a, of a greater treasure that you and I possess as believers in Christ Jesus that we can give away freely to others and never lose what we have. We can share the gospel, we can share God's love and, 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 and invite people into the relationship with the good shepherd all from different sheep pens all around the world. Bringing them in, the reward of Jesus' suffering from every sheep pen. Guys, what greater effort can we give ourselves to? Try to name one. Think of anything better to do with your life than this? I got nothing. It's this. And by God's grace... By God's grace alone, I want to live my life for this in such a way that when I die, hell itself will be glad that I've been taken out of the fight. I just want to know if you're going to join me. I don't know where we're going. (laughs) I don't know what exactly we're going to be doing. (laughs) But I know that we can't stay as we are. This is is infinitely more important than our 401ks and our major league sports. Jesus has sheep in other sheep pen. And as the Father sent him, he sends us to go and gather them in from every tribe and people and language and nation, from every neighborhood to every community. One flock, one shepherd. Guys, what are we waiting for? You waiting for the courage? Uh, the, the, the freedom to go share with your neighbor who you're afraid might think you're weird after you share it? What, what if the, uh, the, the conviction that, 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 that they don't know the love of God that you know? What if that outweighs your fear? Guys, I was, I was putting my shoes on and just started crying at the idea that my neighbor next door might not know the incredible love and acceptance and forgiveness and freedom that Christ won for us. So what are we waiting for? I don't know. But I'm done waiting. There are people who need Jesus right next door and all around the world. One flock, one shepherd. Let's pray. God, I don't know how to pray. In passion, I could probably pray too harshly. But I never want to pray for this out of apathy Jesus you have purchased us by your blood which means you're worthy of everything that we have and everything that we are You're worthy of it. And we're sorry for the ways that we've fallen asleep to the lull of the American dream. I'm sorry for the ways that I have tried to find ways to build up my own kingdom, my own property. When the mission is at hand. God, I I put before you that every single one of our members here, every single person that calls this church home, I hold with an open hand. Because I would much rather them go out on mission for your kingdom than me to hold on to them. God, may our church not be about seeding capacity, but about sending capacity. May our church be on mission. May, May those who come into this flock Experience the nourishment and care of a hospital, the community and fellowship of a family, but also may they also experience the 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 commissioning of mission with their lives because every single one of us has something that we can do in part for your mission. Because Jesus, you have sheep that are not in this fold that are yours, and they need to hear the voice of their shepherd through the gospel being proclaimed. And we want to be the ones who will say, I will go. Because because my life isn't my own anymore. It's yours. And if you want us to go, we'll go. Wherever you want us to go, we'll go. And I pray, Jesus, that more and more people would be willing to to pray that way. Uh, That more and more people would be unshackled from their vision of the American dream. Unbound to it, freed up to go where you send them, to say what you tell them, to love whom they ought to love, no matter if they look or sound different. God, may we be that kind of church. We love you. We offer ourselves to you. Give vision for what we're to be doing as a church on on mission. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you guys would stand, I'd love to pray a prayer of benediction over you. Uh, If you're able to hang around a little bit, obviously uh, we'd love some VBS help, so make sure you check in with Ethan and Jen before you head out. Uh, If you want to hang around for some refreshments, there's some some light ones provided out in the cafe. If you need prayer, if you're feeling convicted, or if you're feeling like, I've got to do something about this, I'd I'd love to meet with you some way. There's a lot of people I want to talk to, so maybe just hang around for a bit. Um, But with that, I I just want to pray the high priestly prayer over you from Numbers 6. And this is what it says. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and in the world to come. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have an incredible week.